Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Clint Jones. And I'm Josh Galecki. And today we're talking about Hogwarts Legacy. Developed by Avalanche Software, the game was released on PC, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, and Nintendo Switch in 2023. And just a heads up, we'll be talking about spoilers, so if you're sensitive to that, now might be the time to disapparate. So Josh, why are we playing this game? I mean, it's Hogwarts, right? Like, this was a big, open-world Hogwarts, or Harry Potter game. They've had Harry Potter games before, but this is, I think, the big uh, first big, like, triple-A kind of uh, treatment of the thing. Um, I know I'm a big fan of the series, like most people my age, and the chance to kind of, like, step into this world was too much to resist. I agree. I, uh, I, I would call myself a mediocre Harry Potter fan growing up when the books were coming out, but I kind of came to it later. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. So I was pretty excited to, to see this as well. I never got to play some of the old games, but I heard that they were kind of like middling at best. So I was a little concerned about what we might get, but I think I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, for sure. And, you know, there is a kind of a reputation for movie tie-in games to be sort of afterthoughts of a marketing department for Hollywood somewhere. You know, try to like cash in on the name of the movie coming in um so having a game like this that's fresh and not attached to any storyline ahead of time was a really nice experience yeah for sure i think that was one of the best choices they made but before we get into story do you want to talk us through the developer here yeah avalanche uh, software has actually been around since the mid 90s they were acquired by disney in 2005 released in 2016 and reacquired by warner brothers in 2017. uh they have actually done a number of movie tie-in games before but they are probably best known for the game disney infinity in 2013. I don't know if you remember this, but you would buy um, action figures uh, with tiny like microchips in them or something and put them on a scanner and then that would unlock characters inside your video game. It's kind of like an action adventure sort of thing that you could play around. And if you are thinking to yourself, wow, as a dad, that sounds very expensive, you would be right. Yeah, it sounds like uh, what Nintendo's done with the Amiibos. So clearly someone was paying attention. Hmm. Although I will say as a kid, like, I don't agree with how it turned out, but like the promise of being able to take your action figure and put it into a video game, like that just sounds cool, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, actually, I've played a game like this. I can't remember what it was called. It was on the Xbox 360. Um, my, uh, my wife's little nephew had a game like that, and he would always get these for Christmas, and we'd play the game get new characters put in the game i don't know it's an interesting concept but you're right it's gonna be a money drain for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be but you know parents will shell out that money and if they don't the grandparents do which also works <laughs> for sure you were talking a bit about the the plot earlier and how it had nothing to do with any of the movies or any of the characters we know or love which i thought was a really bold move but probably one of the best things uh this game could have done like there's all that lore and and like everybody is hung up on these characters. And I think just completely cleansing themselves and starting from scratch was a really cool move. Absolutely. Uh, this game starts off, you're a new student at Hogwarts, a new fifth year student coming to Hogwarts. So you've never been there before, uh, but you're not started off as the, um, you know, the 11-year-old first years, which I thought was another interesting choice because um, then, you know, 
you're already, I don't know, 15 or 16 in the game, you can kind of have a little more mature of a storyline that kind of still makes sense. Um, but not only are you in 15 years old or fifth year, you are um, in the eight, early 1800s too. Yeah, I was kind of like getting the early glimpses of a sequel. So to my mind, if you start at 16, you have a you have a trilogy here, 16, 17, and 18 before they uh, before they're done with your character. I don't know if that's what they'll do, but I was like, wow, that's the perfect number of years to get a trilogy out of this one. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even have to be a trilogy. I think this game's done well enough that uh, part the third game will be parts one, two, and three, like the movies, but it's cheap shots right here. Yeah, I don't know. This was a fully contained story. I don't think that necessarily they have to do anything more with this, or they could move on to something totally different. I liked how well-contained it was. It, I mean, based on the sales numbers, I have a feeling we're getting another one. It might be a while, but I'd be interested to see where they go after this. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, but yeah, you know, you are coming to Hogwarts as this new student, and you're doing the Hogwarts thing, but also uncovering this magical plot that threatens the very foundations of the school and other things like that. Honestly, I, th <laughs> I felt the... I didn't think the plot was silly, but I felt some of the writing at times was a little silly in this game. They kind of switched back and forth, so obviously that's kind of the writing style of the books too, but I feel like, unlike the books, the stakes got high really quick. Like, you see somebody die in front of you in the first 10 minutes of this game, and that's something that was like alluded to, in, in the Harry Potter books, but never happened, like, right there. So I don't know. I feel like they got a little more serious with this one. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I loved the intro for this game. Like, you're off with uh, Professor Fig, who is kind of like your mentor and guide. Uh, so he's introducing you to the wizarding world. And instead of going to Diagon Alley, um, you know, you're going on a flying coach to Hogwarts and right away a dragon attacks. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, like, exciting stuff early on. And they do this nice little set piece at Gringotts. Um, you go, starts introducing some of the concepts of the game. You start hearing that phrase, traces of ancient magic, which they never actually bothered to give a name to. It's always ancient magic. Yeah, it's just ancient magic. And traces, just little little sprinklings here and there. I really like the attention to detail. And one, so I did replay the intro. And I will say, they just paid it. It was very detailed. So when you go onto the coach, you can't see anything driving it, right? There's nothing there. The thrusters, yeah. Yeah, you, you go up, you see the guy die, and then all of a sudden you see the, the rest of the coach fly away with the Thestrals. So all of a sudden you've experienced, you, you've seen death firsthand, and now you can see the, like, it's just like little things from the lore just peppered in all over the place. Things that if you didn't know wouldn't matter if you didn't know, but just that little extra like, oh my God. Harry Potter stuff. <laughs> they did do <laughs> like a really everywhere. great job with that. And uh, you mentioned there's not really any characters from the recent novels or the more modern day novels, but there actually is one, the uh, headmaster. Headmaster Black is a portrait in the seventh book, and he's kind of like the go-between for Snape. Uh, yeah, they introduce him in the book as the least popular headmaster that Hogwarts ever had. And this guy went and canceled Quidditch because someone got hurt. Oh, I don't know. Your magic. Fix it. You know? I And he really was. So the books and the movies really dive in on the the great headmaster that the kids are such friends with and a guiding hand. And this guy was just kind of a douche. Like he was very... <laughs> like, 
I, I, I think it was Simon Pegg that, that did the, the voice acting for this one, who's a pretty big actor, and I feel like really underused. Like, you almost don't interact with him at all. There is that one mission late in the game where you uh, polymorph or polyjuice potion into yeah. uh, the headmaster and just give some hilarious comments to anybody who's stopping you for a question. I guess there is also Peeves. Peeves was and and headless. So okay, so the ghosts and the poltergeists, they're all still there because they, you know they're around forever. They've they're still dead. A hundred yeah. years later, <laughs> so they were still there. Actually, that was kind of cool. So. You never see, I don't think you ever see Peeves in the, it's talked a lot about in the books, but seen very little in the movies, if at all. But you do see him a lot in here. He's like this, like, obnoxious poltergeist that's always, like, pulling tricks on people. It was fun to see him pop up throughout the castle. Oh, for sure. And man, that's some castle they did here. I mean, I feel like this game, it was an open world and had a lot of different locations to go to, but you can pretty cleanly separate it into the Hogwarts and the not Hogwarts portions in my mind. For sure. How did you feel about the design of Hogwarts? Because I have a couple thoughts. It, it can be very daunting and even after spending a ton of time in there it still feels like a labyrinth and a maze but I think that that's kind of what the castle is supposed to feel like and I think that with some of the traversal things they added it made it manageable and still give it this air of mystery and fun. I don't know. That's That was my take on it anyway. Oh, I loved the design of the castle. Like, um, getting around was just fun to do. And they did have some really nice things, like the, um, you know, sometimes to get to potions class, you're supposed to go behind this one staircase and then take a left and then go down the staircase there. And at, at the bottom of the tower, you take the second door on the right. It was a large castle and there was a lot to learn and they had this little mechanic where you press up and it does a magic waypoint system to take you to where your destination is, which... Revelio! Yep. <laughs> I mean, I got some thoughts about waypoint systems in general. I think it was almost a little overused on this, but on the other hand, you're like, eh, it's magic, you know? You do what you want. Yeah, I mean, without it, without it, I can't imagine the design of this cat they would have had to make the castle design way different because without that even with a mini map you just have been constantly checking your map it, it would have like ruined the uh the, the flow of the game but yeah as, as, as silly as it was yelling revelio a hundred times as you're running down a, a hallway you've been in 20 times before if you can't remember which winding staircase goes where i don't know it just it, it felt very hogwarts to me for sure and you know hogwarts is supposed to be like this there's all these staircases that change directions every week and things like that. And they did a good job kind of being like, this place felt like there were secret passages everywhere. And you never really had, like, you got some general idea of where things were, but you never really, like, learned all the secrets of the castle, I don't think. At least I didn't. I hear you 100% of this game. Oh, I, I did. However, I still have the same feeling. Yeah, it, it has a feeling of being vast and unknowable. And I think even if you play the game a ton, it still feels that way, which is right on point for what I think they were, they were trying to do here. So I think the important question here is uh, you show up, you get to pick your house or the sorting hat picks for you. Who is your house and who is your character? Oh, I do not remember my character's name, um, but I was sorted into Ravenclaw, which, by the way, right. this sorting ceremony was hilarious because, I don't know, you, you grew up with, like, 
BuzzFeed and all that back when they were like all the listicles sure. and the polls and everything. And there's all the things yeah. like, which Harry Potter house do you belong to? And this game made it start to seem like it would be that. Like the you get uh, the first question you get from the sorting ha- hat is, um, are you looking forward to classes more or are you looking forward to exploring more? And you answer that. You're like, okay, personality quiz time. And then the second question is, <laughs> what house do you want to be in? <laughs> Yeah, they like, like we're not gonna make you do all that. Funny story about the BuzzFeed thing, though. I literally took that quiz before I played the game because I wanted to just be sure I was making the right choice. <laughs> um, my character was uh, Cornelius Flint, and I chose Slytherin. Nice, nice. But yeah, each of the houses gets a common room. Like the Ravenclaw one is inside the astronomy tower, um, and it's very kind of airy. Lots of telescopes and doohickeys and gadgets around books and all that what was the slytherin house like did it feel like it fit oh very it was cold and uh it, it it's underneath the lake so you can like see out into the lake and they were making jokes about how you could see the mer people and all that stuff but yeah it, it feels very felt very slytherin i did see some of the other ones um hufflepuff was in the kitchens so, you know, they're all about friendship and comfort. They're 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 right there where, where the food is. <laughs> and uh, Gryffindor, we've seen multiple times throughout the movie. It, it kind of felt like that. Yeah, it's interesting when you have um, all the movies as kind of like both source material and inspiration, but also you're trying to recapture the feelings that they had or that the movies were able to get. Like, Because um, with the books, you get a lot more license with how you do things, but the movies already kind of gave Hogwarts a visual language. And I don't feel like they were enslaved to that at all, but I, f- I feel like they did their own thing and did it well. But it's um, it's a constraint because, you know, people see the movie and they're like, oh, I expect this to look like that. It is and it isn't. I think uh, there's certain iconography that you're just not going to get away from. Like the, the look of the, the profile of the Hogwarts castle, that is the same. Like it, mm-hmm. it looks the exact same, but I think there's enough time in between this and I think this was true of the story too. There's enough time between this part of the story and the story that we all know that like there's just a lot that could happen, so they can take some creative license and be like, yeah, well, things changed. Like, oh, for uh, sure. like Hagrid's um, area that wasn't anything like it was in, in in the show or anything like the groundskeeper and all that. But obviously, you can say, I don't know. There was 300 years, something changed. <laughs> Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, like, uh, I'm thinking, I think, particularly the Great Hall. I felt like the Great Hall in the game was not, didn't live up to the movie as much. But on the bright side, there's you're just able to, like, wander around Hogwarts and see so much of the rest of it. And I felt that was so well done. Yeah, things you just see little snippets of throughout the movie, and you can go at will and see, like, literally everything. They did a really good job with the maps. I felt like, again, there's just so much going on. This would be hard to keep track of, but they did a good job of traversal and maps and making you feel like you weren't completely lost all the time, which I appreciated. And it had fast travel. They didn't make you do, um, they didn't make you travel through all these labyrinths all the time. Although the flu powder lady did get annoying. Evidently, they pat, she, every time I, I would pass her. She'd be like, what are you up to now? Like, she always sounds so concerned about me. And I'm like, is this, what? lady, I don't know you. Like, why are you so worried about me all the time? <laughs> no, I got you. I relied on the fast travel, I think, far too much. Like, uh, I actually think if I have, I don't know, like, uh, I feel like I didn't know Hogwarts as well as I should have at the end of it. Like, I, 
I could barely navigate to the library. Um, oh, wow. That's in the, that's off the main room, man. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. But I feel like uh, I almost wish there were fewer fast travel locations inside Hogwarts. So, like, if there was, like, one per major thing. So you go to the mm. Defense of Dark Arts Tower, and then you got to go to Professor Fig's classroom. Like, I felt like it didn't make me walk around Hogwarts enough. But, you know, that's like a minor sin. Uh, the game did such a great job with everything. Well, the only bad part about that, well, two things, I guess it does take some of the mystery away. I used the flu powder very conservatively within the castle um, because there's such a density of, of uh, content in there. Like, even if it's not like quests, which there were tons of characters and quests that you could find just from wandering around, but just also like little things like peeves would pop out, tell a joke and pop in, or you'd hear the kids telling a story about something cool that happened. I, I don't know. Like there was just so much interesting and unique content spread throughout the castle that I never found myself wanting to fast travel because I didn't want to miss that stuff. Out in the world, I felt that a lot less because things are so spread out. You're, you're not going to be finding content around every corner. You just couldn't. But uh, in the castle, I feel like I didn't use it too much. Yeah, this was actually interesting because I played Hogwarts in the middle of my Red Dead, um, oh, Red boy. Dead Redemption 2 kind of thing. And the first thing that struck me after pl- picking up this game, after being maybe 25 hours into Red Dead, was how dense everything was inside the castle. Like, there was just stuff everywhere. And that's not a na- knock against uh, Red Dead, because, you know, that takes place in a literal desert. It's vast. <laughs> so, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> uh, so very different styles of open world over here. But, yeah, I think they did Hogwarts very well. One of the things I think they did really well was the... Um, I liked how they did the classes in this game. So obviously you're coming in as a fifth year, but you don't know any spells yet. So they like slow drip you. This almost felt Metroidvania a little bit where you would have to learn things and then go back and be able to do more things. They didn't do a ton of like rehashing like that, but it was kind of cool. They, instead of giving you everything all at once, you got to slow drip and, and, and learn a, a bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had, um, you know, and I thought it was a good story reason to have you learning these basic spells as a fifth year is that oh you've never been to hogwarts before so you got to learn all the first year spells and the second year spells um and they have you doing this you go to your classes and you have like extra credit assignments from your teachers to do almost tutorialish interact with the game mechanics in ways x y or z And then you get to learn the explosive spell or, you know, whatever your new uh, spell from your professor is then. Yeah, I thought the coolest part about this is it wasn't always just combat either. So these spells, and I don't remember how many there were. There's a long list. I think it's 20 or more spells probably at least in the game. Mm -hmm. But they're both for combat and for puzzling and traversal. So, like... It unlocks a lot of options every time you unlock one of these. They're not all just, you know, like, oh, I can blow something up now. Yeah, they did a really good job with that. I'm going to call it the spell physics system, where there's different oh, yeah. things you have to you have to push away from you or pull towards you, like so many levers you pull towards you in this game, or things you float upwards, set on fire, that you reveal, or that you hide from um, using your invisibility spell. Like, uh, they did a really good job of making these... I think the spells felt more real because it's not like you're just getting this for a combat situation. You're actually using it on things in the world for the different puzzling and uh, side quest kind of things. 
agree. It felt kind of visceral too. Like they did a real good job. Like it felt punchy. Like I, it wasn't like you know like the little pew pew with with, with magic missile with, with your little <laughs> wand. Like it, it it felt like D4 it had some damage. weight to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They did a really good job with that. Um, the spells were well contextualized. They had a lot of punch and they were varied and yet still interesting. One of the things I thought this game did really good too was kind of like um take some of the themes of Harry Potter and kind of embody them in the game over there. Um, some of the ways they do this are they make kind of like rule breaking versus rule following a thing. So it's not like you have a morality scale and you're good versus evil. You are like following the rules or not following the rules. And there's different parts where you have to go into stealth mode and break curfew inside the school in order to like help out the groundskeeper or help your friends out or something like that. Yeah, this is pretty central to Harry Potter as a whole. Like they were even the good kids were breaking the rules constantly if they had a good reason, right? That's like comical mischief is like how I would describe most of what you're doing in Harry Potter, the books, <laughs> the game, all all the above, right? So yeah, breaking the rules is just part of the part of the situation. But okay, even when it goes beyond that, okay. <laughs> Harry did it too, damn it. Like, they were always causing some kind of trouble. Um, but but I was going to say, like, even when the stakes get higher, when you're talking about unforgivable curses and you're actually taking lives and things like that, like, the game never burdens you with the morality system, which I did appreciate. They could have easily done that, but they chose not to. I do think it was kind of funny. Like, I um, did not use any of the unforgivable court curses because I didn't want to I didn't want to go down that dark path. Slithering. Classic Ravenclaw. Oh, <laughs> no at all. No, but um, I thought what, uh, yeah, it was interesting how they handled that. We should talk about that later for sure. But um, one of the things that I felt was a good call out to the books in a way was the way you had your friends and you collected your friends. Like I'd consider there were three major quest line friends, uh, Sebastian from Slytherin, uh, Natsai from Gryffindor, and Poppy from... Um, Hufflepuff. Yep, I agree. Um, those were, again, like Harry Potter, the series, fr I feel like friendship is the main common theme. And without those quest lines, I don't think this story would have popped off the way that it did. I agree. And there was an interesting way that these different quests would interleave. And um, the kind of structure of the story felt very almost novelistic like um sebastian deals with the goblins natsai with the evil wizards and poppy with the kind of the beasts which also interacts with those other ones too but kind of like it's a slow building of getting information posing a question kind of like putting a mystery out there and then later on that gets resolved and that's something i thought the books did very well too and I like that they're completely optional. Like, let's say you just don't give a shit about beasts. Well, cool. Just don't do Poppy's storyline. Although you'd be doing yourself a disservice because she was awesome. As was Sebastian. Actually, I have to say, if, if, if you only had the time to delve into one, who, who do you think your favorite one was? Because I, I have a top of mind one immediately. Oh, I liked... I think I liked the Poppy story the best. Although I thought the Sebastian one was the most interesting. Yeah, I That's the one and that um, I, thought had the I actually never completed any of their quests outside of the major story ones, but those story beats hit you pretty well. Oh, wow. Okay, so I will say the ending of Sebastian's really drove it home. Oh, I think I did take a look up on this online. Like, uh, he eventually gets 
expelled from Hogwarts if you continue down his line far enough. Worse than that, he accidentally kills his uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. You play with unforgivable curses. You get burned. I guess. I mean, I did. I didn't get burned. A lot of a lot of uh, goblins and spiders got burnt pretty badly, but I'm 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 still okay. You know, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, um, you're like this one wizard army against these goblins, and right up till oh, yeah. the end, um, my character was saying like, "Oh, you know, uh, this isn't my fault. You made me do it." As you swoop into their encampment, <laughs> slaughter, and slaughter all of them. <laughs> Oh, you get to be quite the formidable force by the end. Um, we keep wanting to talk about combat, so oh, let's, let's just go into it. Yeah, let's just do it. I will say this. I did not expect the combat in this game to be good at all. The combat in the movies is not super interesting. This is a licensed property, and a lot of times you get, like, mediocre at best. They nailed it, in my opinion. Like, they kicked this one out of the park. Oh, yeah. Like, my entire kind of reference for what I was guessing the combat would be like was from the movie. And the needs of... Kind of like the needs of cinema for being able to tell... Uh, a story well through film are very different than what the books are. I felt like the combat in the books, it felt more intense, whereas in the movies they had to show a bunch of people flailing around, shooting spells at each other, uh, and kind of doing things like that. So I was not not, uh, holding my breath for the combat here to be good, but it turned out to be very engaging and very well done. Yeah, it had uh, some really good... uh it's all about dodge counters and combos. And the combos, like we said before, there's like 20 some odd spells. You could string together some real crazy shit. And it looked cool, it sounded cool. I don't know, if you pulled it off right, it was it was quite the experience. And it was also very difficult, mm-hmm. which I was also not expecting. Yeah, no, I uh, play this on the most difficult setting because I'm like, oh, Hogwarts, sure, I can handle this. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it was hard on the normal setting. You didn't have to go do that. Well, well you know, we all have our, we all make our decisions. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it, it was difficult combat. Like, you could get a combo going. Uh, there were some area of effect spells, but not a lot. And each time you did a spell, there was cooldown on it. Um, you also had to toggle very quickly to deal with different shields you're able to shield encounter the enemies are able to shield as well and there's kind of um, four basic types of spells three of them get used in combat uh quite a bit the the damaging spells and then there's the um kind of control spells like uh polymorph someone and then there's the levitation spells i call them bring something closer or whatnot start up an aerial juggle uh, and what they have, and then of course the unforgivables too. So three types of spells that I use. And uh, on top of all that, there's a there's a skill tree that you can. T- you're talking about a lack of AOEs. You can turn things into AOEs later, or uh, with a lot of the unforgivables, you can start chaining things to build power and all these other crazy things. Like, uh, oh god, there was one where every time you hit somebody with an unforgivable, it curses them, and then when you do a Vada Kedavra at the end, it just kills everything that's been cursed. So you could sit there and, like, mark a, like mark ten guys on the screen, cast one thing, and just blast. I mean, by the time you get to this, it's the end of the game anyway, so it's never overused, but it looked so cool when you did it. Although you always felt a little bad for doing it. 
but not too bad. <laughs> okay, Slytherin. <laughs> hey, those those things were murdering people, students and teachers and everything else. You're just going to sit around and I have to believe that when you uh, turned the guy into a barrel and exploded him on all of his friends, they were probably also equally dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- those spiders chilling in the forest, they were definitely probably oh, plotting this... world domination or something. For sure. That was, I think, this game's weakest point is there wasn't a ton of variation in the uh, in the different kinds of um, enemies you had. But then again, I don't feel like the books really lent itself to there being a ton. You know what I mean? I thought they did a good job with what they had. Like, I felt that doing um, like a wizard fight felt very different than a beast fight in terms of strategies you had to throw out there. Um, one, like the beast fights tended to be much more. Um, counter based for me like uh they had an interesting counter system with the shield where some attacks you had to shield and some you had to dodge from and um with the beasts even though all of these guys are like melee they're also able to teleport across half a room when they're doing a lunge attack so you always got to be wary of the timing and kind of keep track of everyone um because for me the like the idea would be that you juggle someone when you get them up in the air that's when you can start doing some real damage on them but you only have so much time to do that before somebody else is attacking you so it's always managing the crowd as you're trying to pummel on one person yeah i'll say there wasn't a whole lot of one-on-one combat in this game it mostly was crowd control lots of parry dodge spell combo parry like yeah you're constantly controlling large groups rather than like focusing on like a single large boss enemy there were a couple of those and they were really cool set pieces i'm thinking uh of that one guardian boss that constantly changed the type of spell that would uh be able to uh damage it do you remember which one i'm talking about uh there are a couple of bosses towards the end of the trials that all seemed very samey to me i actually felt like those were some of the weaker ones they did but that first really big one that one was like a standout moment for me i guess i don't know this game had a ton going on and 100 hours worth of content if you really wanted to uh delve into all of it and i will say that by the end if you did everything some of it did start to feel samey after a while but none of that did i feel was the case with with the main quest except for maybe those guardians parts but that's about it yeah i'd agree with that and you know i th- i feel like the trials were spaced out enough that I was never like, oh, here's another one going on. Oh, and then uh, the third trial was completely different. Like, there wasn't a boss fight for that one, which was a fun change of pace. Oh, the one where you're in the storybook? And yeah. everything is like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, speaking of that one, I guess there's also a large stealth mechanic to the game. <laughs> if you want, you don't have to do it really at all, but you can. Oh, I use this a lot on my character, you know. Um, I don't do unforgivable curses, but I stealth kill the hell out of everyone. Pratificus Totalis, and the guy falls off a 200-foot cliff, and I'm like, oh, he's probably fine. He's probably, yeah, he's already down there, I'm sure. Uh, But I won't kill anyone. (laughs) I don't want to see them die on screen. What happens off screen is not my problem. (laughs) So, yeah, that, that was fun. The stealth was fun. I enjoyed the plant like there, there were uh, gadgets you could use in combat. You could use uh, potions, which of course spam the health potion when you need to. Uh, but there was also plants you could use, which I thought was an interesting way to make herbology that wasn't just leading up to potions later. Like you can throw cabbages full of teeth at people and things like that. 
in the giant Venus flytrap or whatever they call it. And again, I'm going to forget all the cool names because I played this game. I don't know. It's been a couple months now. I played a lot of it, but it's been a couple months. I didn't do a ton of the plants. Uh, although I started messing with it more as I started getting into endgame stuff. And I realized this could have been like a useful addition throughout the entire game. If I'd have played it on a harder difficulty, I think I would have needed it more. You don't need it on normal difficulty, but it certainly was a help. Um, speaking of gear and stuff, though, I think this game did something really cool. So obviously, you want your gear to be useful, but you also really want your wizard to look, or witch, to look the exact way that you want them, right? Because you're role-playing here. They added a cool transmog system to this game where basically, like, it didn't matter what piece of gear you had, you can make it look like any other piece of gear. Oh, so you can I still have that. the exact look that you were looking for. Yeah. I mean, like, we've all played, like, I don't know, World of Warcraft or whatever, where you have the mismatching armor set, and you're like, look at me, I'm very high-powered, and I have, I'm, I'm, I look like a, a professional wrestler with all these colors <laughs> coming up here. Um, so this, this game made managed to be like, yeah, you can equip the better piece of gear and just keep the same look if you want and again magic so we've contextualized it and it makes sense right why does that work i don't know something some magic spell and then i thought a cool part with the gear upgrades too i didn't pursue this as much as maybe i could have um but you're allowed to capture beasts and you know it's okay because there's poachers out there and you're keeping them safe inside your tiny yeah. magic sack um, but you let them out into a giant world, which that like, part was really cool. Off of this room of requirements, you can get these little beast worlds. Um, and they're just these really cool environments, really great, like transition. Um, cause you know, it's magic, uh, but you can go from one to the other and harvest like fur or teeth or livers or whatever the wizards are taking these, not days. livers that would require some kind of harm to the animals. They're always like, <laughs> It's magic. Fur. This is the magic <laughs> liver regurgitating griffin. <laughs> I guess. I guess we didn't even talk about the room of requirement, but that actually filled like another like little Hogwarts fantasy, I guess. You get to, you have your own room away from everybody else that you get to build out and fill with whatever you want. There's like hundreds of items throughout the game that you can put in there and make it specifically you decorate it the way you want it's also very useful it's where you plant your plants raise your beasts use your loom to create new items like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in there i feel like it becomes your base the only bad part about this is i feel like it kind of takes you away from the whole common room like you don't really go back there once you um have your room of requirement but you're also kind of doing your own thing it separates you a little bit from your house but i guess that was important because the difference between your playthrough as a Ravenclaw and mine as a Slytherin weren't that different, right? Outside of the, the, the opening sequences and things like that. And I think they probably had to, like, you know, find a way to make that all come together. And I think that's why they did something like this. But it was pretty cool setup, I thought. Oh, there's a... Yeah, there... I do not think that if I... You know, this game is worth another playthrough just to do another house. Like, um, outside of a bit of dialogue... Um, I think the game was, again, it's like that personality quiz. Oh, what house do you want to be in? Cool. And that's about it. And you get like a, yeah. a, I think you get like unique music for being in a particular house, but it doesn't significantly change the game up at all. I mean, even, um, you know, a little Potter lore right here, but uh, in the books, you took 
classes as a class. Like um, the in the books, the Gryffindors would take potions with the Slytherins. Um, and in this game, everybody's all mixed together. And I think that's to make sure you can still make all the friends you need to make, those major friends with the quest lines, um, and still see them in outside of just like this one class because um you really only go to the classes once or twice uh you really don't like have a schedule in this game where you wake up and you have to go to potions in the morning and charms in the afternoon or something like that i'm glad they didn't do that that would have been tedious um they did just enough of it to make it interesting like oh i'm going to class i'm doing the student thing but without overbearingly doing it and if you chose to do some of the, there was a ton of extra exploration stuff going on in the Hogwarts castle, especially if you wanted to engage in all that, you get to do a little more of it if you want, but you totally don't have to. Now this is, um, they did have a really nice thing where you go to a class for the first time, you get like a montage of all these fun little scenes of magical happenings that happen when you're in the class. And I thought that was nicely done, but, um, I almost feel like it felt like it was too free to go out into the open world which we'll get to that in a minute but like um have you ever played the game bully no it's like the one rockstar game i've not played i feel like i loved that rockstar game it's another game where you're taking place in a boarding school and in this game like english class was a mini game math class was a mini game and they were fun little mini games but um if you like went to class five or six times and you beat all the levels of the mini game then the teacher's like oh you don't have to come anymore but it you still had to like walk through the school and find English class in the English in the morning, math in the afternoon until you, um, until you reached that level where you graduated from the class or you didn't have to, but you'd get in trouble if you didn't show up. Um, and I felt like something like that would have maybe helped me like have to navigate the school a little more. I'm like, okay, after, after this class then I need to go across the courtyard to go to potions next or something like that. Gotcha. You needed someone to make you do the thing because you couldn't just follow the rules on your own. I get it. (laughs) Should have been a Slytherin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we've talked a lot about um, the castle itself, but that's only like a third of the actual game. There's actually a massive open world outside of this. I thought it would just be like, Oh, here's Hogsmeade. No, no, no. That's like another big area, but there's just like a massive world outside of that too. Oh, for Um, sure. Speaking of the open world, this would have been really hard to get around or not even super interesting to get around if it weren't for two of the main traversal mechanics here. So you mentioned beasts earlier. Obviously, you can get things like hippogriffs, thestrals, things like that, but you also have your trusty broom, which I felt was perfect for getting around this large open world. That broom was maybe the highlight of the game for me. I absolutely adored the feeling of just like you're walking around on the Hogwarts courtyard and you're like, broom time, and you're off. Yep. You're flying away. Um, yeah, it wasn't like you had, you had to go to a place to go here. If there's open air, you can take off right there. 
There was an interesting mission they had at the beginning where you walk from Hogwarts to Hogsmeade to pick up the school supplies that got uh, eaten by a dragon earlier. And you're walking along with Sebastian or I don't know. I, I guess you could go with Natsay too, but I, I chose Sebastian as my friend for that one. So you're talking to each other and revealing some storyline, but it's like a decent walk to get from one place to the other. I think like five or ten minutes, um, which makes it all the more uh it feels all the better to hop on that broom later on and cover that same ground in like 30 40 seconds or so yeah if they didn't contextualize it first by making you do it manually then it wouldn't mean anything like i don't think you would have gotten the sense of scope of scale of the world that, that was a good move by them i think mm -hmm. oh but, for but sure they only make you do it the one time like you, you can do it anytime you want, but they only make you the once. I mean, you can always fast travel there later after you go there the first time, too. But it does help yep. set the stage for the scope of the game because, like, Hogsmeade is a little bit far away and it's a large village for sure. But it's, you know, there's a huge bit of the map that you need to go through and um, figure out for this whole game. And just gorgeous landscapes to zoom around in. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of making the world feel, again, very much Harry Potter. Um, and it was massive. There were largely different areas. There's two, or maybe even three, like, main giant hubs of map. And then, of course, there's Hogsmeade, which is its own thing, and the castle, which is, I don't know, because of how dense it is. That's just as big as one of those whole areas all by itself, I feel like. Um, and then out in the world, there's just so much activities going on. Like, there's the Merlin Trials, the dungeons, the caves. There's just so much happening. I don't know. I, it's not as dense as the castle, but I think they did a really good job of making it feel like there was stuff going on in the world instead of just this big empty thing that you had to walk through. I liked the little incidental touches they had sometimes. Like, I'm sure you saw the wizards flying kites once or twice. You know, just some of your school chums out there on a cliff with a magic kite. Just doing whatever. Uh, yeah, I was flying around one time, saw a dragon, never saw him again. It wasn't like this thing that they're like, oh, check it out. If you go to this area, there's dragons. Like, I just happened upon one one time, and that was it. It's like a special little thing, and it's done. Hmm. Just a lot of little, like you said, a lot of little touches. And then just the landscapes and the environments. I thought these were very well done and very just interesting to explore around. So I mentioned there's uh, some stealth sections before. There's the kind of combat stealth where you go up to someone and go, Protificus Totalis, and they fall off the cliff to their death. Uh, but there's also the stuff inside the school, too, uh, where you have to dodge ghosts or the librarian or something like that and sneak around to get to places you're not supposed to go because you're breaking the rules. I thought this was actually pretty well done, especially where you're casting spells to divert their attention and have them go investigate something so you can sneak past what was their sight line. Again, this felt this I felt was very Harry Potter movie style. Like the the kids that are up to no good. I wish they had this more totally. Like this happens at plot locations in the game, but I almost wish they had like a at the beginning of the game, there's a curfew at night and if you get caught outside of your common room, 
I don't know, detention or something like that. Um, but you get far enough in the game, I don't know, act one or something, and you like I don't find a magic hall pass or whatever, and you're allowed <laughs> out at night. Um, Which they never tell you. You're just like magically don't have to get caught by the prefects anymore. That was like one weird thing they just never explained away. I'm sure there was like at one point going to be a system around that. They're probably like that would just be boring and just scrapped it. I feel like like the open world outside of Hogwarts, they didn't want people to feel like they had to be back for classes at a particular time when they're out in like the northern swamps or the southern cliffs or something like that. I mean, it would take a while to get back. I'm going to be honest. This was so big. Like, I feel like a day-night cycle would happen before you got from the furthest point back to the castle, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But I, I feel like at the beginning, they could have leaned into it a little bit harder. I appreciated yeah. the stealth sections where I had to do them in the school, but I wanted to break more rules, as I think what I did. I didn't have enough opportunity. I was just out there waltzing at night. You should have been a Slytherin. You're just trying to break rules and do what you want to do, and here you are <laughs> in your blue cloak. But yeah, another theme from the book besides rule-breaking is this trust in your friends. And even at the... Um, at the end of the game where you're deciding what you're doing with the big magical MacGuffin, um, you know, you get the choice of, are you going to keep the secret or are you going to tell the world about it? And I chose, you know, I want to tell the world about it. And they're like, oh, cool. Are you going to tell everyone or just your friends? And I'm like, yeah, just my friends. They're cool. I trust them. We've been through Obviously. some things. Yeah. This thing I promised like 30 seconds ago not to tell before that thing killed that guy that we've been hanging out with the whole game. Yeah. I'm just going to break my promise and tell my friends anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very much so, very much. And, like, um, I did think they had, like, good, call it friend drama. The whole quest line with Sebastian, where you two get in an argument. Like, I don't think you see that in many games, where you have, like, oh, we're buddy buddies, and you actually have, like, serious disagreements about things, serious enough to perhaps end the friendship, which it turns out you don't eventually, but, you know, you guys aren't talking to each other for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. The depth of which the relationship goes, I, I think, really solidified the relationship. And it happens, I think, the most in Sebastian's storyline, the least in Poppy's. But in all of them, there were some major stakes, and there were times you didn't agree, and I feel like that made you closer by the end of it and make you like them more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this wasn't like... I don't know, like a happy-go-lucky type of, oh, you know, it's Hogwarts, everyone's going to be friends. Like, you felt like, it, they felt more real because they weren't always saying, yeah, let's hang out, that's cool. In the opening ten minutes of the game, you see a guy die. That is not a normal thing for Harry Potter. The stakes were a little bit different back then. Things were seemed a little less safe, I'll, I'll say. Mm -hmm. Again, in Harry Potter, you know if the book's called Harry Potter and the series is called Harry Potter, you know, the kid named Harry Potter is not going to die. Probably not his little friends either, but you're in uncharted territory here in a game where you're playing a character you don't know. And you don't know any of the side characters either. So literally it's open season. And I feel like they did a little, a little more with the story knowing they had that bit of license. They didn't have to like, Oh, we're using Harry Potter here. He has to live at the end of the game. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen to Sebastian. And then he killed a guy. And then, like, you you just don't know. Like, oh, my God, is that it for Sebastian? That could be it. 
the one of the big plot points of the Sebastian storyline is the unforgivable curses. Like, how do you feel they handled those? I thought thought it was handled very well. Like, it wasn't something I was forced to do. And given the lore, you know, that's a big, big issue. But you had the choice to do it, which made it meaningful to choose not to do it. Um, But as someone who went down the dark side path, what do you think of how they handled it? I don't appreciate that. It's not the dark side path. It's just a path, which is uh, why I unforgivable one. I don't know. (laughs) Who's not forgiving me? I think you guys are just a bunch of prudes. Like (laughs) (laughs) there there are dark wizards out here trying to murder us. I'm just trying to keep us all alive. Anyway. Uh, no, I, I felt this was very important uh, on, on two fronts. One, they let you role play exactly who you wanted to be. So to your point, you, the Ravenclaw, who wants to... Actually, I'm kind of surprised. I feel like Ravenclaws would almost go for it because they're like always in search of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. They can't stand that there are things that they don't know. So I think you guys are on the cusp of... of, of uh, I bet you there's a lot of Ravenclaws that went for it. But they didn't make you do it. They didn't gatekeep anything behind it. It didn't... It did make combat more interesting. It, I don't think it made it a lot easier. Um, I don't know. You're telling sort of, me you can just cast a curse and everyone dies. That's at the end after you've like fully spent all your perk points on that tree. Like You have to really invest in it to make it do those things. <laughs> so th- there are other things you could have done instead, right? That probably would have been just as crazy in an opposite direction. But yeah, I like that they didn't make you do it. And they slow rolled it like, oh, you learn this one and then you learn that one. And the whole time you have Ominous who's going, you probably shouldn't do this. This is definitely not a good idea. It's like, well, you learn that one, but maybe don't do any more then. And like, just like there's like a hundred times it was like, hey, we should probably stop. And then you're like, I don't know. I want to learn about a cadaver. And head then- back to uh, <laughs> head back to Ravenclaw Ominous. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. Uh with a name like Ominous from Slytherin, I thought for sure he'd be the guy that'd be into it, but he wasn't. But yeah, th- there's like a, a bunch of gateways, so it wasn't like some other games. Like I'll point back to um, Sekiro, where there's an ending you can get by literally choosing one dialogue choice one time, and there's no going back. That pissed me off. Hmm. Like, I lost... Like, it changed the entire course of the game. There's no way to fix it, and I, I literally just chose one dialogue choice in a game with no dialogue. That really irked me that that you know, sent me down a path I didn't want to be on. This game lets you dip your toe in the water, realize exactly what you're doing. You have a bunch of time to back out if you want to. But even if you go all the way through and do all of it, it doesn't change the ending. It doesn't ever punish you for doing it. There's no morality system. It's just like you're role-playing your character and you get to do that and they don't punish you for role-playing a certain way, which I really, really enjoyed. Well, the kind of like main plot of the game was about this kind of uh i forget what her name was but the um other fedora Fedora, yeah becoming like a dark wizard sort of thing and that's one of the interesting things the game highlights in some of the lore and things you can find out in the world is uh, you know there's dark wizards from every um every house in hogwarts uh it's not like we just keep all of our bad guys in slytherin because it makes the bookkeeping easier Uh, (laughs) Like they're yeah. they're like Ravenclaw, yeah. People who are pursuing knowledge at all costs are Hufflepuff. I don't know. They really want more easier access to the kitchens or something like that. Whatever Hufflepuffs do, I don't know. They're beneath <laughs> me. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing down there. Um, and and even then, like Isadora had like good intentions. That's like the other thing of this too. I feel, I feel like it's a little more nuanced. It's not like just bad guys being bad guys. There was like this is a 
good person with good intentions that did a bad thing and it got out of hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the, I guess, Harry Potter regular lore, you know, Voldemort is just the bad guy. He's evil. He's just bad all around. And the, uh, you know, this game presented dark wizards as more nuanced figures. Yep. Had a much more multidimensional story, which I appreciated. Mm -hmm. It was was more mature across the board, which is fine. Because, again, Harry Potter started as a child's book and had to grow from there. This was, again, kind of unleashed from all that. We understand the totality of that story, but there's also other stories to be told within the world. And I feel like this did a good job of being that without totally being that, right? Exactly. All right. And with that, let's conjure up some three-word reviews. My three-word review is a magical experience. If I'm being honest, every time I saw a press release about Hogwarts Legacy during its development cycle, there wasn't a whole lot that was catching my eye. And I'm not sure if I was just kind of writing it off early because I expected it to be a mid-tier licensed game or why it wasn't clicking with me back then, but when the internet went ablaze prior to its release due to things that had nothing to do with the game itself, it managed to recatch my attention and I'm really glad that it did. Luckily, the game that we got wasn't all just hype, and in my opinion, it actually over-delivered on the experience that was promised, or at least the one that I was expecting, which was a real treat because it's such a rare occurrence these days. As expected, the story was charming, but more interestingly to me, the combat and traversal systems were surprisingly good. The last licensed game that surprised me to this level of combat depth was actually the Arkham series, and I'm so pleased to see that rather than just resting on the laurels of being a Harry Potter game that would sell regardless of what they did with it, the developers were actually innovative and built some really cool systems into this game. As for traversal, the lack of loading screens meant that I could go running out of potions class through a crowded corridor, out into a bustling courtyard, jump onto my broom, and be zooming around the parapets of the castle all within mere seconds, which absolutely felt amazing for building a sense of magic and immersion for this game. I had a great time with this game, and I was frequently surprised by the level of detail and care that the developer took to make this the ultimate Hogwarts experience. In so many ways, they refused to rest on the gargantuan shoulders of the franchise, both by focusing on a story that had nothing to do with Ron, Harry, or Hermione, and also by creating a new and interesting game mechanic. I especially loved how they were able to expertly subvert so many of the standard video game actions, like checking your waypoints, and give them magical context within the game. For me, all these little lovingly crafted details added up to an excellent game that I would recommend to just about anyone, regardless of their interest in the Harry Potter franchise. But, for anyone that grew up reading about trips to Hogsmeade for butterbeer or winding treks down into the depths of the Gringotts Bank vaults, know that this game is a love letter to the fans and you owe it to yourself to give this game a look, because outside of visiting Universal Studios, this is the closest I've ever been to experiencing the wizarding world of Harry Potter firsthand, and it was truly a magical experience. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Alright, my three-word review for this game is A Legacy Fulfilled. Open-world games have a very different pace and structure than a more traditional game does. As a game developer, you sacrifice control of what the player is doing and when, in exchange for perhaps a more relaxed journey and more player control of the story and pacing. One benefit to this is that open-world games are much more lived in by the player. You have a chance to stop and smell the roses and enjoy the sunsets. Hogwarts Legacy offered fans of the books a chance to live in the iconic school, and it delivered on its promise in spades. I enjoyed walking the halls of the castle, seeing small incidental scenes play out, and getting to know my classmates over the course of a game. 
The feeling of flying over the highlands on a broom was glorious. The combat was engaging and the spell system was robust and well-conceived. It felt extremely true to the books, which is perhaps the most magical compliment I could give it. I'm really glad you liked it. I enjoyed this game a lot. This is the first time you and I have done a cast together. Hey. Because I feel like Brian's the glue. Brian's the guy that like likes all the games, and then you and I are often on different ends of the spectrum, so it's really cool that we found a game that we both enjoyed enough to, to cast on together. So I think our differences are a little exaggerated. The problem with <laughs> Brian know. is he just enjoys all the games. So when we do overlap on a game, which happens quite a bit, Brian's just like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, and if you enjoy this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks that you think you might enjoy it as well. Drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. We talked about this a little bit up, up top, but where would you ideally want to see this going? Like, they're obviously going to do, do another one. Like, this sold better than Elden Ring. Like, this just... There's no Damn. way... Oh, yeah. Dude, it sold 12 million copies in the first two weeks alone, and it just it, it blew the lid off. So, we're for sure getting a, uh, a, a sequel. What would you want to see it do? Would you want to see your character again, or do you would you want to see something else? <laughs> um... I could see both. I could see both happening, like your character coming back uh, next year or something. Um, could it have some interesting continuity with that? I mean, they have solid characters here already. They could flesh those out more and come back. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I think it would be cool. Well, again, I kind of noted off the top that being a fifth year means you could you're 16 17 and 18 are open years. People love trilogies. I think that they they left it open-ended for that reason, but I feel like your guy's such a badass by the end of this. Like, who's going to go back for senior year after they obliterated the uh, the Dark Lord beneath the, <laughs> the, the castle basement? I don't know. For as many times as my character said that these goblins had it coming, I, I feel like <laughs> self-reflection is not a strong point. No. Yeah, I, I don't know. It would be far-fetched for me to see this character go to school again. However, I think it would be cool to... There's obviously so much of a timeline between this game and the, the Harry Potter story as we know it that I feel like there's room for several other things in between. It would be cool to see your character uh, get imported and almost used as like a uh, like a teacher or something. <laughs> or not even t- you know you know what I mean like it looks like them they take some of the choices that they made and kind of inform you know a little bit of story around it I think that'd be really cool to see your character show up in a later story I believe that like a cameo appearance that could be fun yeah N- not so much that they have to like explain away everything you did and why you did it but just enough to be like who were they what house were they in what cho- what major choices did you make like how did Sebastian fare like it'd be cool to find out like oh 
you were able to help Sebastian in the end, and they're buddies now. You know, like, just hear little things like that. I don't know. Hmm. No, I can see that. And there wouldn't be that many choices your character makes throughout the thing, right? Like, I think the Sebastian no. would be the biggest one. This is not, like, Mass Effect level. That got so big that by the end they're like, I don't know, choose red, blue, or green. And then that's your, and then that's basically your end. Yeah, I feel like there's a few enough choices that you had some say in the matter, but not so many that they couldn't work narrative around it later if they wanted to. Mass Effect definitely had a length problem. I heard that one designer of the game talking about the difficulty of designing a dialogue between two characters, either of which may be dead, about an event that might or might not have happened. Oh, I'm sure it was way convoluted by the end. I mean, when they started it, they, it was an impossible task. Like, nobody had ever done anything like that before. And I feel like this was the Game of Thrones problem, too. So many intricate storylines. Except with Game of Thrones, it was set, right? Like, there's one guy deciding how this all goes. With Mass Effect, it could have gone 80,000 different ways in between. Like, there's so many different combinations. How do you meaningfully wrap all that up? I think the answer is, you can't. So they all boiled it down to... You pick a color, and then you infer the rest, which I, I don't think really went over too well. But I think that they avoided that a little bit in this game. It was mostly prescriptive with just a little bit of uh, choice in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say this. People really complained about some of the massive amount of side quest content, like the Merlin trials and stuff. And I don't understand this complaint because none of it was required. In fact, so there's like a 100 plus of these things, I think, somewhere in the world. But even to get every bit of reward that you would ever need to get out of them, which you don't even need to get that, it like stops rewarding you after like halfway through. If you want to, if you want to do the rest after that, it's just like this is just an excuse for you to hang out in the world a little bit longer. If you wanted to, I ended up doing it for the platinum because I was already most of the way there. Was it fun the whole way through? It was fun like eighty percent of the way through. <laughs> I feel that's well, whatever. a platinum trophy in a nutshell. It was eighty <laughs> yeah, percent like- fun. <laughs> And then the end, I was like, ah, I only do that for games I really enjoy. I think that's like my biggest stamp of approval. Like, I will do this the whole way through because I liked it so much. And this was definitely worthy of that for me. So Mm -hmm. I must have really liked this game. feels weird without Brian, but just because just, I feel like he's the one that's keeping me on rails. Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Brian Skersha. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'll be like, what the fuck? And today we'll be talking about Brian Skersha. <laughs> Developed at his mom's house in 1986. Oh, All right. 